Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are live in living color and we have a lot to get to. At the end of this show, as I already mentioned, we are the people show. We would not be the people show if we did not include the people in the show. You feel me? So right now, go jump in the chat and drop a question for us. We're going to get to that at the end of the show. So again, drop those in right now, and we're going to make sure we answer those. But like I said, we have a stacked show for you tonight, and I am fired up to talk about everything that happened in the beautiful thing that was week five in college football. We're going to talk about Oklahoma and the troubles that they have. We're also going to talk about Georgia. They survived a scare last night at Missouri. Close call, but those are the things you got to make sure you take care of if you want to play for a national championship like they did a season ago. In addition to that, we're also going to talk about Alabama getting it done without Bryce Young for the most part, also on the road against a good Arkansas team. Then we're going to talk about Clemson and NC State. I think Clemson really made a statement last night that some of us need to pay a little bit more attention to. DJ Uyunglele, might be time to start giving him a little bit more Heisman buzz. Hey, we're going to talk about it. I'm not saying it's a for sure thing, but we're going to make sure we discuss that in full. Also, Florida State. I mean, golly, gave Wake Forest just about everything they could handle. I think there's a lot more to take from that game. I'm not ready to sell Florida State up the river, but again, we will discuss that. LSU and Auburn is a game that could have implications during this show if you're reading between the lines. So we'll discuss that game a little bit more and what it could mean for the future of both those programs, especially at Auburn. As always, how we typically do on Sunday nights, we're going to give you our top four teams and the first two out, keep a pulse on the playoff picture. A lot of these committee members want to wait till later in the year. They want to talk about it in November. We're going to do it tonight. We're not half-stepping. We're ready to talk about it right now. We feel like we have a good gauge for that. And then again, at the end of the show, getting to your questions, bringing you into the party. So make sure you submit those right now so we get to them. But like I talked about, Oklahoma, they took an L. There's no really great way to sugarcoat it. They took an L at TCU, 55-24. to 24, And this was right after... They had taken a beating at their house against Kansas State. And Adrian Martinez put on a clinic, gave him a juice box and a T-shirt afterward and said, thanks for coming. We fully expected Oklahoma to bounce back in emphatic fashion. You know how I feel about Dylan Gabriel. You know how we feel about that offense. But we thought, okay, this is a one-off for the defense. And Brett Venables had said as much in his press conference last week. We trusted him. One of the best defensive minds in college football. And what he told us last week in his press conference was, hey, I've seen it before. That's why I was surprised tonight. I've seen us do some of these things effectively. We're, we're close. We just need a little bit of a tweak here, a tweak there. And we're going to be okay. So I thought of that as, okay, if the defense is a machine, Brent Venables, the man who knows his program better than anybody else in the country, is telling me we just got to tighten up a few screws, make a few adjustments here, a few tweaks there. That'll make a big difference. If you didn't watch the game, we did so you didn't have to. It was an abomination defensively. And that's probably putting it kindly. And we support Brent Venables. We support his program. But they were just outmatched in every level of what they did defensively. Allowed 361 yards rushing. Not passing, rushing. Don't worry. They allowed over 300 yards passing as well. Just a very tough, tough look for that program. 
So what that tells me is if I'm Brett Venables, I'm looking at my defense, it's not going to be just a small tweak here, a small tweak, a small tweak there. You got to take the whole thing apart. Like you got to take every piece of this machine apart defensively and look at it for what it is and reassess Figure out what's not working right on each level, whether it's a position group, whether it's a part of that defense on the defensive line or the linebacking group, a unit, if you will. They've got problems internally, and it's not a small tweak. Now, is it a personnel thing? I'm not ready to say that just yet. I saw so many busted coverages to make me think, okay, they're just not installing it correctly. They're not on the same page. They're not communicating effectively. They didn't put it on tape yesterday, but I'm not 100% sure that they don't have the guys to do it. But again, it's going to be a complete reconstruction on defense. It's not a small tweak. Offensively, Dylan Gabriel goes down relatively early with a perceived concussion situation. I don't want to speculate. That's what it looked like, having had a fair share of my own. Bad play. Bad look for Oklahoma. But again, it doesn't matter what they did offensively yesterday. I actually think that there is a little more cause for optimism for them going forward. They ran the ball effectively at times. You allow 361 yards rushing, it doesn't matter. You could have Tom Brady playing quarterback for you. You're likely not going to win the game. So for Oklahoma, we talked about a fork in the road last week with all their goals in front of them. A lot of those goals now are still in front of them. You need some help. The college football playoff, if we're using history as a teacher, which I think we should, it's probably not going to happen. And that's tough at Oklahoma because that's what they strive for. That's their standard. You could still play for the Big 12 title. With that being said, you need a complete 180 defensively. Like this reconstruction better happen quick, fast, in a hurry. If they win next week against Texas, though, I think that could do a lot for morale, a lot for belief in that locker room. Because you just got it handed to you in two games you were favored in, Kansas State and TCU. You beat Texas, I think you do a lot for that belief. Now, I'm not so sure I'm feeling great about Oklahoma after that game yesterday, but it's a, it's a do or die time. Like we, we talked about it earlier on the channel today. Is it time to panic at Oklahoma? It's getting close. If you're not smashing that button just yet, your hand is hovering over it and you're sweating bullets. So for Oklahoma, you got to get right quick, fast, in a hurry. A lot of what you want to do in the postseason is now looking pretty fuzzy after these last two games. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling great about Oklahoma, to say the least. So Oklahoma, again, taking an L, 55-24 to 24 at TCU. The Sooners have got to get it figured out. Appreciate you tuning in. We got 54 people in here watching right now. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, subscribe. It helps us. It helps you. Roll, party, roll. We'll leave it at that. Georgia survived a scare yesterday, 26-22 to 22 at Missouri. So Georgia packed up everything, went on the road, went to Missouri's crib, and just about took their own L of sorts. And there's a lot of ways to look at this. On one side, you can say, okay, hey, you went and beat an SEC opponent at their place. You didn't have your best day by any accounts, and you still found a way to win. That's good. You never turn down a W. They're hard to come by, especially in the SEC, and Kirby Smart said as much in his postgame presser. Now, the difficult thing is... This is the second week in a row we've seen Georgia play pretty lackluster. And the Kent State game, you can put about as much weight to it as you feel is appropriate. We don't really think too much about that game. Georgia's the better team. We're not worried about them playing Kansas State. What I am, excuse me, Kent State. What I am worried about, though, if I'm Georgia, is the amount of juice I'm bringing each week. 
juice is probably the wrong word. The percentage of effectiveness I'm bringing each week if I'm Georgia. Because Missouri, that's great. Probably a 65, 70% effective Georgia team can get a W. Georgia really kicked into overdrive in the second half of that game. We saw them start to lean on the big boys up front. The run game got working. Georgia started to be Georgia, which is what it felt like you were waiting for the majority of the game. However, they play Florida. They play Tennessee. They go to Mississippi State, and they go to Kentucky. That four-game stretch from the end of October into November, if you play with a 65% effectiveness, you're going to have issues. Now, at the same time, a 100 to 95% effective Georgia, 100% on their game Georgia, they will probably win every game that they get into. The concern that I have is now with this two-game sample size, you've shown me that it takes a little bit to get your attention if you're Georgia. And I think some of that is eight new starters on defense. We prefaced that a little bit in the preseason. They put a lot of those concerns to rest in the opening game against Oregon. We're not worried about talent on the defense for Oregon, or excuse me, for Georgia. We're not worried about those eight guys that are stepping up to be starters now. They can all play. I promise you, the majority of those guys, if not all of those guys, will have a chance to play in the NFL if they want to. That's just the way that it goes when you commit to Georgia. However, those eight guys are trying to figure out what it's like to bring it game in and game out. The experience at Georgia is what concerns me a little bit on that side of the ball. Because again, the second week in a row now, we saw a lesser opponent have a little bit of success, especially in the first half. I mean, they won the line of scrimmage in the first half against Georgia. That is saying something about both programs. I think it says more about Georgia because of the talent they have on that team. I would also mention this. Another point we made in our earlier video today, but the Stetson Bennett haters, they're stretching. They haven't been able to come out in a while, but they're stretching. They're out now and starting to tell you, wow. It's what you get having a former walk-on at quarterback. You got a lot of guys with a lot of stars next to their name holding the clipboard for you, wearing a visor on Saturdays. And Stetson Bennett, he's the one who's playing. I know he, I know he won you a natty, but come on. Stetson Bennett? I mean, I could have won a national championship back there. They're going to start telling you that story. Notice the same things that they say about other quarterbacks. Caleb Williams, Bryce Young. Whoever it is, they're going to tell you, well, hey, they had an off day. They just found a way to win. That's gritty. Good for them. Double standard. You have the right guy playing quarterback at Georgia. I think his experience, his maturity, the fact that he didn't flinch yesterday when he didn't play his best game is a huge reason why they were able to stay composed and win that game. So don't believe the Stetson Bennett hate. That's all fallacious. I think for Georgia, it's a matter of looking in the mirror and deciding, okay, we're going to take every opponent seriously. Because if they do that, they're going to be in the same position last year. If they don't, we're going to be having another conversation in the very near future about why Georgia dropped a game to insert team here. Because the schedule is not kind, to say the least. If Georgia ends up getting back to Atlanta, or if they end up playing in the college football playoff, they will have earned it in full based on the gauntlet they still have to run. All that's to say, a win is still a win. You're grateful to learn some of those things that you got to work on in a win rather than a loss. But Georgia has got to figure it out. It's got to be a, hey, I got, I, I got my attention in the first quarter and not in the second quarter when we're back against the wall, heavy breathing, trying to find a way to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat because we're down 10 points at half. Last year's Georgia team didn't really do that. This year's Georgia team has got to figure it out. But if there's a guy that you want as your head coach getting you situated, getting you right, it's Kirby Smart. 
I mean, I think he is one of the, obviously one of the best coaches in college football. I think he's also one of the best minds and adapters in college football. You saw that last night. They're down 10. They're having trouble getting things going. And so they just said, big boys up front, we know that you're the better unit. We're going to ride y'all all the way down the field. We're going to win this game because of y'all. And once Georgia decided to be Georgia, that was really all it took. Okay? So if Georgia wants to be Georgia, they're going to have a lot of fun this season. We're going to talk about them a lot well into January. Another team that we expect to talk about well into January, the Alabama Crimson Tide went on the road. Again, it was a survival mode Saturday. Found a way to get a win at Arkansas, 49-26. to In the early going, you said 17 points. They're going to cover that with ease. I did not say that going into the game, but the way that they started this game, they were firing on all cylinders. Bryce Young was dealing. The run game was going. The defense was looking solid. There was a lot of things going Alabama's way. Isaiah Bond, a guy that regardless of the quarterback situation, needs to be looked at. He's a young gun. I think he's only a sophomore. He was moving yesterday. Caught a deep seam over the middle. Got even with his man and he was leaving. He could be that deep threat that they're waiting for to step up at, 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 excuse me, at Alabama. He's a guy that I'm excited to watch going forward. However, Bryce Young, towards the first part of the second quarter, rolls out to his right. His old teammate, Drew Sanders, trips him up around the legs for a sack. And Bryce Young falls on his shoulder, had to leave the game. Visibly upset. We're not going to give you a play-by-play -play as to what happened on that injury. But bottom line, enter into the game, Jalen Milrow. And Jalen Milrow is a freak show. I tweeted it out. He is a psycho in the weight room. I mean, seeing him do hand cleans is, is just a scary, scary sight. No quarterback should be able to move that kind of weight. But when Jalen Milrow entered the game, it was evident this was a different Alabama offense. And that's not to knock Bryce Young. Or excuse me, that's not to knock Jalen Milrow. He's just not Bryce Young. He just can't do the same things as Bryce Young can. And that's, again, not to knock him. There's nobody else in the country can do what number nine does. But the offense operated very, very differently with him behind the wheel. And Jalen Milrow is a great athlete. He can't throw the ball like Bryce Young. Maybe that changes with the, a couple more weeks of preparation. Maybe if they have to work him into the system, he can be that guy. But when I was watching, they became very one-dimensional. It became old-school football. And that's tough to do on the road against a ranked opponent. I get it. It's probably the, one of the least ideal situations to be thrust into. But it was tough to stretch the ball downfield. It was tough for them to complete passes. They were out of sorts. And what you saw Arkansas do, started to climb back into it. The crowd was going crazy. Arkansas was starting to get their rhythm, get their tempo. They cut it to five points. It was 28 to 23 at one point. And this is when Alabama sort of adjusted again similar to what we talked about with Kirby Smart Nick Saban one of the best adjusters in college football Bill O'Brien made a phenomenal adjustment they just said Jameer Gibbs your game brother go do what you do ripped off two 70 yard touchdown runs and here's I think the big takeaway for me when I talk about Alabama going forward when they don't have what they need to have offensively if they don't have Bryce Young they still have Jameer Gibbs that's why you got him in the transfer portal because last year's Alabama team, I don't know if they win this football game. And last year's Alabama team played for a national title. Having Jameer Gibbs on your roster was the difference yesterday. And credit to Alabama. For them to get pushed around on the road, we had talked about that going into this game as well. If Alabama gets pushed around, if you're going to beat Alabama, it's got to be at your house. 
and Arkansas had everything teed up for them to win that game. And Alabama just sort of collected themselves, no panic. New guy at quarterback found a way to get it done. So looking forward, the assumption, again, we don't know. This isn't like a practice report on an injury for Bryce Young, but the assumption is Bryce Young is going to be okay. Nick Saban didn't seem overly concerned in his press conference about it. We think he's probably going to be okay. The issue, however, is you have A&M next week. And A&M beat you last year. I mean, in college station, don't get it twisted, but A&M has done a lot of talking over the offseason. Remember that whole exchange with Jimbo and Nick Saban? There's going to be a lot of juice around this game. And A&M is going to give you their absolute best shot. He just got wounded this week against Mississippi State. They're going to give them their best shot, all they can handle. So I'm excited to see what happens there in the, the A&M game, obviously. But the one that you got to look at going forward past that is at Tennessee. That's the game that could get you if you're Alabama, especially if the absolute worst-case scenario happens and Bryce Young's shoulder continues to bug him. You have to go with Jalen Milrow. I'm very curious to see what would happen if Alabama goes into a game, game planning around Jalen Milrow. Do they allow him to get a little more easy access throws in the short game? Do they allow the game to come to him a little bit more? Or is it kind of, hey, what you saw in that Arkansas game is what you're going to get from Jalen Milrow. They become one-dimensional. It's an old-school football team. And the luxury for Alabama in this game was, again, they were able to run the ball effectively, but with a whole game plan around it, with Jalen Milrow's tape now out there for the defenses, I just wonder what's going to happen. I wonder how that would look going forward. Again, we think Bryce Young will come back. They were fortunate to get a win this week, and I think this is a lot about their program, a lot about their culture, to take a punch in the mouth, no starting quarterback, still find a way to get it done on the road. The tide roll, 49-26. to 26. You better believe they're moving up in our, uh, our top four. We had them at three last week. They're going to go up a spot or two, something tells me, so we'll get to that here in a minute. Another game where we talk about survival mode. Clemson at home, NC State coming to the crib. College game days there. There's a lot of excitement around there, a lot of buzz in the air. NC State was treating this like their Super Bowl. Clemson won this game 30 to 20. And truthfully, I don't know if the final score was even necessarily that close with the last score that NC State ended up getting, but some of my takeaways are more Clemson based because I think that's the real storyline here. DJ Uwe Angolale, yet again, found a way to get it done. A week ago against Wake Forest, he put up big numbers throwing the football. I was like four or five touchdowns. He was ACC Player of the Week honors. I mean, he did a lot through the air. This week, a much better defense against NC State. Much better unit than they were going to play last week. And DJ Uwe Angolale just continued to give you more of what you need. Not necessarily everything that you want. He didn't light it up again this week with 500 yards and, you know, four or five touchdown passes, but he gave you more of what you needed. Sufficient 21 of 30, 209 yards and a touchdown. Did a lot with his legs. Right around 70 yards, picking up crucial first downs on the quarterback design runs. Did a lot in the read option game. He just gave you more of what you need from him. And he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. He's not going to be Taj Boyd. But we talked about it at the beginning of the year. If he can just be serviceable, if he can just keep from making the play that loses the game for Clemson, they're going to have a shot. And DJ Uyunglele continues to do enough for Clemson and continues to allow them to win football games. The secondary was another thing that we're watching in this game. Because if you watch that game against Wake Forest, they just got abused. 
Like it was 50-50 ball after 50-50 ball. And I know it was young guys out there. I know they weren't full strength. But a lot of those same guys had to play last night against NC State. And credit to them, they got tested. Devin Leary had 47 attempts. You know what that means when a team just says, we're going to throw the ball at you 47 times? It means we think we can expose that. We think we can win there. And we're going to make you prove that you can defend that. And credit to NC State. They connected on a few of those punches. It wasn't like they were locked down all night on the back end. But credit to the Clemson secondary. They just took their lumps, took their punches. And the whole theme of this episode, the whole theme of this college football Saturday was survival. And that's exactly what happened for Clemson. Just survived, found a way to get an interception late, really flipped the game on its head. I was really impressed with what they did in that secondary. Also talking about that defense, that front seven was challenged. No Brian Brzee, no Xavier Thomas. They didn't have the depth that they really are accustomed to having. What did they do? Just found a way to answer. Stepped up to the challenge. Got after Devin Leary, made him uncomfortable for the majority of the night. Clemson answered a lot of questions that I think we had going into this game. Going into this game, we thought, well, is it going to be a thing where the offense has to win games for them now? Can they play some sort of defense on the back end? Only allowed 20 points to one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I know that receiving core isn't going to be as scary as maybe Florida State is going to be. But I was really impressed with I was really impressed with what Clemson brought to the table. You're not spoiled offensively for Clemson, but you're no longer impoverished. And that was, I think, the big thing that we saw last night. The 50-50 ball was going for DJ. Can you rely on that going forward? I don't know. But Antonio Williams, the young and in the slot for them, could be the difference maker. You got all these big body guys with the tight ends and Ngata on the outside. You got guys that can go win those jump balls, but Antonio Williams needs to see more of the football going forward for them because he can kind of be that change of pace, maybe that speedster that allows them to be a little more flexible in the pass game. But offensively, credit to Brandon Streeter because the offense had so much criticism going into the year. DJ had so much criticism going into the year, and for them to be doing what they did last night just speaks volumes to how far they can go. So what are the big takeaways? If we're going to take a step back and look at Clemson, what can we look at in this game? Well, there was a point in this game where there were seven minutes left, and Clemson was up, had the football, and I just asked myself, sitting by myself in my apartment, on my couch, just looking at my television screen, just asked, can Clemson finish this game? They got them on the ropes, and we're so accustomed to Clemson just sort of hanging on just finding a way to get it done at the very end. Clemson, can, they, can they assert their will and finish this game? All they did, go down the field. DJ Uengale gets in the end zone for the second time that night. They finished that game. They're starting to go on offense as a program and not just survive on their talent. So what this tells me as a whole is the formula at Clemson works. They're not going to see a better defense the rest of the way. Notre Dame is going to be solid. Maybe you say Florida State's going to be solid, but I, I really think from just an experience and a talent standpoint, that NC State defense will be the best test for Clemson going forward. So they still got to bring it each Saturday, but they've proven they can do it. Brandon Streeter has proven he can do it. Wes Goodwin has proven as the defensive coordinator for Clemson, they can do it. They got to do it every Saturday, but credit Dabo Sweeney. Regardless of what they do from a wins and losses standpoint, I think you have the right guys calling your units, you got the right guy at quarterback. So Clemson's putting everybody on notice, getting a huge win against a top 10 NC State team at home. Clemson just continuing to ride the Roy bus. 
they're going to be a problem here late in the year. But again, Clemson wins that game 30-20. to They're going to have a chance now. They have put themselves in position to have a very legitimate chance to run the ACC and then find themselves in the college football playoff. It was heated last night, too. I mean, it's one of the more slept-on rivalries, I feel like, from a national perspective. But Clemson and NC State, they do not like each other. So Davo Sweeney and company, very, very happy, to say the least, to get a win like that. Let's talk about Wake Forest and Florida State. Wake Forest gets this win 31-21, ACC clash. Florida State was favored in this game. They were at the crib, a lot of buzz around the program. Jordan Travis, the guy they're super excited about for good reason. He's playing a little bit dinged up, got the brace on the knee, no problem. We keep rolling. And all that happened was Wake Forest came out after Florida State got an early touchdown. They took control of the game. Experienced team. Coming off an emotional loss last week, they, con they took control of the game. So let's hit on Wake Forest first. I think the experience for Wake Forest is what won this game. You got a freak show wide receiver in A.T. Perry. They were able to run the football when they had to. That slow mesh sort of war on the Florida State defense. And Sam Hartman, as experienced as he is, as talented as he is, he's someone that I think we just need to pay more attention to nationally. I understand he's at a school like Wake Forest. That's not to knock Wake Forest. They just play in the same division as Clemson. And so the Wake Forest brand just doesn't necessarily get some of the other people quite as excited as maybe it should. But Sam Hartman, for my money, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, proved it again yesterday. So that's that. I think the experience of Wake Forest ultimately is what won that game. Don't want to take anything away from them. However, I'm looking at this Florida State team, and I think there is a lot to be encouraged by. You know how we feel about moral victories on this program? We just don't really do them. Moral victories aren't really a thing in the football world, but there are positive takeaways. So you lost the game. That's bad. You got to look that in the mirror and just kind of move forward. But the positive takeaways for Florida State, I think there's a lot of them. The first of which being they were down 28 to 7. Think about what you know about Florida State football for the past few years, really since Jimbo Fisher won the national title and eventually went to College Station. Think about the Willie Taggart Florida State. Not to knock Willie Taggart specifically, but just roll with me here. Those programs would have folded. This final score, 31-21, I promise you Florida State four years ago probably loses this game by a lot more than 10, to say the least. I mean, it, it gets ugly. Florida State was down 28-7, composed themselves, went right down the field, threw a touchdown to Micah Pittman. They showed so much grit. And I know it kind of sounds like we're doing the head tap, like, hey, good job. You stayed in it. You kept fighting. We're not doing that so much as I think we want to highlight the culture. The culture of Florida State is headed a different direction. Jared Verse, a guy that was hurt all week, they were not even sure what they would get from him in terms of being available, worked hard to get available, made an impact on this game in limited snaps. A guy like Jared Verse, in my opinion, embodies the switch at Florida State, the switch that Mike Norvell is implementing there. Now, it's great to have a culture and to stay in it when you're undefeated. I mean, that, that's awesome. Kudos to you. What happens now when you get squeezed, when you take a loss? Because losses, they're not fun, but they do a lot more for you in figuring out who you are than wins do. You got a fork in the road. Mike Norvell, I think, has created some real buy-in. But going forward now, 
They got a date with Clemson here in the not-too-distant future. Do they allow Wake Forest to beat them multiple times going forward? Do they sort of start to have the whole woe-is-me, a bunch of me guys in that locker room? Or do they have some maturity about themselves, continue to be bought into the system, to the, to the process, and move forward and do what I think they're capable of doing? Because they got guys. I mean, that sounds simplistic to say. They got guys. They got a guy at quarterback who can do it for them. Jordan Travis, all offseason long, I was saying, I need to see it to believe it. I understand there's excitement around him in the fall camp and the spring camp kind of scenarios. I get that. That's cool. 15 touchdowns, six interceptions a year ago. I hadn't seen it yet. He has proven he is not just a quarterback for him. He is the guy for them. And so I'm excited to see what he does going forward and how he rallies this program because it starts with him up front. It starts with him leading out front of that program. So again, they lose the game 31 to 21, but this Florida State team showed me a lot in terms of how they've progressed so far under Mike Norvell. Excited to see what that looks like going forward. All right, LSU at Auburn. Jack, I'm checking in with you. Before we jump into this segment, we have anything that would be uh, impactful as it relates to, uh, to this, this game potentially? He has not been fired yet. Okay. The elephant is out there. He has not been fired. We're prepared if that happens, and it would happen on this show, knowing our luck, but we're going to go ahead and roll with it. We'll just break down the game itself, and uh, we'll give you our thoughts about the Brian Harson situation at the end of this segment. LSU went to Auburn and got a dub, 21-17. to in an old-fashioned Tiger fight. But you watch this game early, and Auburn was up 17-0. to zero. And those Auburn boosters, God bless them, they were probably so frustrated seeing this program start to do well under Brian Harson, Robbie Ashford's dealing. I mean, he played a phenomenal game through for over 300 yards. In the early going, it was like, wow, Auburn is going gonna, is gonna to keep their guy around another week. And they, they may still do that. We'll see how this video ages. Regardless of the whole Brian Harson situation, Auburn very much so wasn't able to slam the door shut. And I think in large part, it has to do with the sloppiness that we've continued to see. We saw it against Penn State. We saw it against San Jose State. This program has continued to look sloppy from a setup standpoint, from a operation standpoint, from holding on to the ball. They had four turnovers yesterday. You can't turn the ball four, excuse me, you can't turn the ball over four times and still feel good about your chances to win the ball game. That tells me a couple of things. And we've talked about it before on this program, but we'll say it again just to make sure we drive our point home. To look sloppy in a game-like scenario equates to you have looked sloppy before behind closed doors. And if you look sloppy behind closed doors and then look sloppy in a game, that means there is somebody in charge that is allowing that to happen. It sounds harsh. I, I assure you this is just the way that these things go. I promise you. Coaches allow things to happen. You coach things, but even more so, I think you allow things like this to happen. Now, I'm not saying it's Brian Harson's fault. They're turning the ball over four times. But as a whole, I think this is a very much so a reflection of the powers that be in this coaching staff. Now, on top of that, I think some of this could also be in part to the distractions that are surrounding your program at Auburn. Just put yourself in an Auburn football player's shoes these last two weeks. You were realistically a missed field goal and a fumble through the back of the end zone away from having a new interim head coach. And then all week long, all you heard was, 
If you lose this game, your head coach is getting fired. That was, I promise you, being in the, the bubble that is Auburn, that is all that you were hearing as an Auburn football player. You try to block it out. You try and keep it all in-house and stay locked in, but you can only put the blinders on so much until that impacts your psyche. And I think as a whole, it creates distraction. And distraction leads to being not present, and not being present leads to mistakes on the field. I'm not saying that these are the direct reasons for Auburn's play, but I think some of it has to do with that. Now, at the end of the day, you still have to look at this program and look at the guys in that locker room and say, hey, we turned the ball over four times. Brian Harsh has not fumbled the ball for us. Eric Kiesaw has not fumbled the ball for us. So maybe it's a personnel thing as well, but this thing is going nowhere fast. We'll come back to this in just a second because they got Georgia next week. I think that's the exact last team you'd want to see if you're Auburn. We'll talk about them in a second. LSU, I don't know what it is. They just continue to start slow and continue to find themselves in games in the fourth quarter. We saw it opening weekend against Florida State. Sort of sleptwalked the first few quarters, picked it up, had a chance to win at the end in some small part thanks to what Florida State did. We saw them in this game as well. Just sort of sleepwalk out there, go down 17 points, and the best explanation I can give of what LSU does in these games is that meme where the guy's sitting back playing video games and he's slouched over, and then he just leans over and decides, okay, I'm going to lock in now. If you haven't seen that meme, go check my Twitter. I have it out there quite a bit talking about LSU. But that's just what it feels like. The defense at one point, after giving up 17 points, just said, mm, no mas. We're not going to allow you to score anymore. We're just going to kind of put our foot in the ground, and that's going to be that. We're going to start playing LSU Tiger kind of football. Heck, they scored on defense. Jaden Daniels, I don't know if he ever really kicked it into overdrive. 80 yards passing? You still win the game? I mean, that you'll take it, obviously, but I'm just saying for LSU, this is great to beat a team like Auburn at Auburn. Again, you never turn down these wins. But for LSU, what happens when you go play more formidable competition? What happens when you're not playing a program that's in shambles, has their back against the wall, and their head coach about to be fired? Then what? So for LSU, it, they, they've been able to escape with it a couple of times. Mississippi State, Auburn. You saw what happened when they wanted to start slow against the Florida State team. It's actually pretty good. That, that can't be the case going forward for them. Now, again, I think LSU, you're more so looking to the future than you are this season because Brian Kelly is there for a reason. It's to sort of change the batteries at LSU to get the bad out and get the good in. So they have some things to look forward to. But as far as this season goes, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a, it's a culture thing, it's a coaching thing, but they need to find a way to start football games quicker. And I don't think that's novel analysis. But it just shows to be able to come back from 17 down, I don't care who you're against, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of firepower in this program. They got the means to do it. They just got to start the same time everybody else starts at kickoff. So we'll see what happens there with LSU. But I'm excited to watch them going forward. Because if they can start from the jump, they're going to catch some people sleeping. Which sounds funny to say about LSU. But that's the situation that they find themselves in. Okay. Take a deep breath here. What is Auburn doing with Brian Harson, man? Like, it is, let's see, what time is it right now? It is 6.37 Central, 7.37 Eastern Time, and Brian Harson is still your head coach at Auburn. Brian Harson and Auburn are like that high school couple, and you know they're not good for each other. 
You know that neither of them see a future together. Nobody really wants to make it work long-term. Brian Harson's fighting tooth and nail, it would seem, but his legs are chopped out from under him from the powers that be at Auburn. Auburn doesn't want Brian Harson to be their head coach. They don't see him being the guy to lead them. I mean, it doesn't matter how many games they win the rest of the year, he's not the guy for them, and they know that. You have your excuse right now. Is it Georgia that's going to scare you away from firing him? Because if you do, that's just soft. I mean, this whole situation sort of gives soft vibes, but I digress. Let that man go be with his family. Let him go move on in his career. Let, let him go be an analyst at Bama and just sort of get on with his life. It's $15 million. I know that's not chump change, but for Auburn, I think it's the least you could do to be 100%. So, again, they go to Georgia next week. That is going from the fire, excuse me, from the frying pan to the fire, however you say. It's bad news when you got to go play the dogs in the situation you're in. So we'll see how this ages. Maybe we'll get off the air tonight and Brian Harson will no longer be the head coach at Auburn. But regardless, there's a change coming. And the longer they drag it out, I think the more disservice it does to them as a program, the worse it looks for them as a program. And think about the impact this has on recruiting. It's hard to recruit when everybody in the world, including that head coach, knows he's not going to be the guy. You can't commit to a head coach if you don't have a head coach going forward. So the longer this thing goes on, it's like poison. It's just getting to all parts of the mechanism, and it's going to be even harder to get out when it's all said and done. Auburn, do the right thing and cut ties. Golly. I hope we don't have to do that segment again next week. I really hope we don't. I hope they can just sort of put everybody out of their misery. It's the right thing to do. Let's talk about the top four, because we've had some movement. No huge losses in this top four. Nobody really took an L that we had up here. Oklahoma last week obviously took an L. They took an L again, so they're out of this. If the college football playoff picture, if the, if the rankings were to come out today, what would they look like? Well, we're going to give you our first two out, and then our top four will go in ascending order. So without further ado, the first team that we have out is USC at number six in the country. They won last night 42-25 to over Arizona State. They pulled away, which is encouraging. You saw them have some adversity, which is the second time now in two weeks where they've had to battle and find a way to get a win. Just pulled away. It was 21-17 at half. It was encouraged to see them sort of catch their rhythm offensively. You saw them look much more together, even with a Caleb Williams interception. I think it's good to kind of have that out of the way, to be 100% honest with you. But USC, a team to watch for. I sound like a broken record at this point. It's just because it's true. When they play Utah, that's when we find out exactly how good they can be. It's not that we don't think they're really good right now. They're one of the top six teams in the country for us, all right? Are you kidding me? If they can beat Utah, they will be a lot higher on this list. Trust me. But for right now, we have them at number six. At number five... We'll get some pushback on this. We have Michigan. So they're down a spot for us from last week. We're not knocking them for getting a win at Iowa. Anytime you get a win on the road, it's a great thing, especially against a team that's as stingy and, and tricky as a place to play as Iowa is in Kinnick Stadium. They won that game 27-14, to 14, relatively convincing fashion. The knock isn't so much on Michigan as much as it is who we have at number four. Our number four team is Clemson. And Clemson, like we already talked about during this show, they made a statement. I mean, they made a statement the week before against Wake Forest, but winning that game against a really good defensive team with, with an experienced quarterback in Devin Leary, like, I've seen what I need to see from Clemson. I've seen they have it under the hood. And that was sort of my concern 
throughout the duration of the offseason was that defense is going to be really good, but is that what they're going to have to rely on? Is that what's going to have to carry them? Because DJ threw more interceptions than touchdowns last year. Do they have something offensively to cling to? Last night showed me they 1,000% do. So I'm excited to watch them the rest of the way. They have a really interesting stretch of games here. They still have to play Notre Dame. They still have to play Miami. They still have to play Florida State. So their work's cut out for them. But I truly believe they faced their toughest defensive test last night for Brandon Streeter's offense in NC State. So for us, they're number four. We have Michigan at five. Again, not a knock on Michigan. They took care of business. But that top 10 win from Clemson is good enough to put them at number four for us. At number three, the team that was previously number one for us, the Georgia Bulldogs. And they're going to have their chance to make a case. So if you're upset about this ranking, that's fine. Keep tuning in every Sunday. We're going to keep ranking Georgia in this top four if they keep winning. They'll likely have a chance to play Alabama for the SEC title. The concern, though, is these last two games. In two separate stretches of games, we have seen Georgia look lackluster. We opened the show with it. We're going to talk about it again right now. Georgia needs to find a way to have their attention not dictated by what the logo is across from them. To us, that's concerning. That can't, that, that's not championship-level football. I think that comes with experience, but that's experience that they don't yet have on the defensive side of the ball. You have the luxury of having a guy like Stetson Bennett, but Georgia still has some things that we're interested to see. So we like Georgia, the number three for us, but we're going to see what they do the rest of the way. Number two, we got Ohio State. No change there. 149-10 over Rutgers. They're going to play some better teams going forward. There's not a, a ton to break down. C.J. Stroud's that dude. They're littered with ballers on offense, again, for Ohio State. Not a ton to take away just yet. I am very excited to see that game October 29th at Penn State. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's when I think we get, similar to USC, a better litmus test for what they have as a program, playing really formidable competition in Penn State. Number one, we have Alabama. We already talked about that, 49-26 over Arkansas. They did it without Bryce Young. We cannot overstate how impressive that is. To do it with a guy like Jalen Milrow at quarterback who got thrown in there and completely changed the complexion of your offense, Jameer Gibbs just takes over, says, give me that. That's a very big deal. We were really impressed by that. We thought Arkansas was going to make that close, especially when Bryce Young went out of the game. We thought Arkansas was going to make it a one-score game at the end of that thing. And credit to them, they pushed it to five, but Alabama just decided that they wanted to be Alabama, adjusted accordingly, played an elite level of football in the run game, got it done. They're good enough for us as the number one team in the country. So to recap, number six, we got USC. At number five, we have Michigan. Our fourth best team is Clemson. Georgia is three. Ohio State is two. Alabama is one. This is going to continue to change throughout the rest of the year. If you don't see your program on here, if you don't like where your program is on here, do not worry. These things always come out in the wash, and that's the beautiful thing that is the college football regular season. So continue to stay tuned in with us. Speaking of being tuned in with us, we have 137 of you on YouTube right now. Thank you so, so much. Go ahead, click that subscribe button. That helps us do more of what you want to see. When I tell you that this show is very much dictated by the feedback we get from you, that's 100% the truth. Whatever you want to see, we do more of. It's good for us to get a gauge for what you want to see based on who's subscribed. So go ahead, subscribe to the channel. You will not regret it. We're not going to spam you. It's a good thing for all parties involved. All right.
So this is now the part of the show where we kick the doors open even more than we already did. You were already in here, but now we're passing around the mic. We want to hear from you. So we're going to go now to our, our question and answer portion of this show. We're going to have you join the party. So now it is my pleasure to introduce the next man up over there in the studio, making this whole show happen production-wise. Jack Terry is the keeper of the queue tonight. Jack, how we doing, my man? Welcome to the Hard Count. I'm doing good, JD. Uh, we're missing Nick Break tonight, but I'm, I'm filling in. Next man up, baby. Next yeah. man up. He had to go and get wedded. He was already married, but he had to have a wedding. Another story for another time, but fired up to have you here with us, Jack. What are the people in the queue saying for us, man? What's the party section got to say? Yeah, I got a, I got a question to start you off. So Tanner Beaver wants to know, is Tennessee actually a contender for the SEC East? Ooh, Tanner, great question. The answer is emphatically yes. And they've put themselves in position to play for the SEC East based on that win against Florida. We talked about it on our show, I think it was last week. They have now made the, the games ahead of them much more valuable. Still got to play Bama, still got to play Georgia, but they're going to have a chance to, to really play for the SEC. And so th their schedule is so tough. Like, it's really not fair, but they are able to control their own destiny. That offense is humming. Hendon Hooker is going to get some Heisman love. He keeps playing the way that he has. But they, they got some guys. They got some guys. I think they have the right coach in Josh Heupel. They got the quarterback, which is arguably the most important piece. Defense still has some things that I think they're figuring out. But are they a contender? I think it's hard to find a reason why they wouldn't be a contender at this point in the year. But Tanner, great question. Tennessee's a contender for us in the SEC East. What All else right. we got, Big, Big Jack? Question number two from Cody Helm. Who do you got between TCU and Kansas and Lawrence this week? Man. Yep. It's a how about, matchup. For, first of all, how about Kansas being ranked? Number 19 in the AP poll. Lance Leipold has gone in there, absolutely revamped that whole program. We've been saying it since they were 1-0. It's a football school. I mean, I, I, we support Bill Self and what he's done with that basketball program. That's great. It's a football school now in Kansas. And so college game day will be there. I'm fired up for it. Jack, I, I don't see a world where college game day comes to Lawrence, Kansas. TCU, after a huge emotional win against Oklahoma, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. They're feeling good about themselves. We're probably going to talk about it more as the week draws on. I think we have no choice but to, but I think Kansas wins that game. We're buying stock in Kansas. And also, I want to make sure we say this. ESPN is doing this whole thing about Aaron Judge chasing home run 60, whatever it is. When Kansas is playing for meaningful games late in November, I want to make sure that ESPN treats Kansas the same way they're treating this historic moment from Aaron Judge. All right? The ball is now in your court, ESPN. The ball is now in your court, Major League Baseball. But we like Kansas in that game. I'm sure we'll get more into it uh, as this, this week draws on. That's a great question, Jack. I love that. What I've, else got, got, big I've dog? got TCU. but that's you, you got TCU? Yeah, I, I got TCU. I don't think 6-0 Kansas is going to happen. Dang, man. So it stops. Dang, that would be tough. Game day goes to Lawrence and they lose. That would be a tough look. I hope you're wrong. I guess we'll, we'll break it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I hope I'm week. wrong too. 6-0 Kansas would be awesome. It's just so fun. Like Even people that are Big 12 fans are rooting openly for Kansas. Like I've seen that on for Twitter. Sure. Guys that cover the Oklahoma beat or whatever, like they are tweeting about Kansas. It's great. I mean, fun for college football, but it's all fun and games till they walk into your stadium and hand you an L. So... 
I'm excited to watch that unfold, though. We got anything else tonight, Jack? Yeah, Hunter Adkins wants to know who's going to win between Texas and Oklahoma. I think that's Ooh, a good one right there. That is a phenomenal question. We'll end with that one. Hunter, after what I saw from Oklahoma this past week, it's going to be very difficult to pick them. And we're going to do a full preview and prediction that you'll have on this channel. We'll probably do it in our long-form show um, at some point during the week, whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Stay tuned for that. That's why you got to be subscribed. Oklahoma's got real issues on the defensive side of the ball. However, with the way that the emotions swing back and forth and Oklahoma sort of being down bad right now after such a poor game, I would be surprised if we don't see an enormous gut check from that program and they find a way to push Texas. Before the year started, we would have said Oklahoma, but looks like Texas gets Quinn Ewers back. That's still remaining to be confirmed, but he's eyeing a return for that game. It's a rivalry game. Anything can happen, but if we had to pick in this very moment right now, we'd pick Texas, but we're going to do some work on this game, so make sure you come back and get our full preview and prediction for that thing during the week on this channel. Jack, that's a good one to end with. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, folks, we got 124 people watching right now. Thank you so much for being tuned in with us. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you don't miss a minute of what we do. It's a channel, yes, and it's got the YouTube algorithm that that helps but even more so like i said this is a community we value so much your opinion and you subscribing to the channel allows us to get a better gauge for that opinion okay so more of what you want to see happens here when you subscribe so go ahead and click that subscribe button right now it is free 99 which is a perfect price point for just about everybody that you know and that you love again thank you for tuning in with us we go live here on sunday nights every single week so after the madness of your college football saturday Take a deep breath, get some electrolytes in you, eat a good meal, sort of make sure you take care of your emotional health there, and then come back here on Sunday night, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to break down everything that happened the week before, give you our reaction, give you our thoughts, take a look to the future, and most importantly, we're going to hear from you in the live chat. So come with questions, get those in early, and we'll make sure that we get to those every single live show. We're also on podcast. Be remiss if I didn't mention that. If you like Apple, we're on Apple like Spotify, we're on Spotify. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Download the podcast, leave a five-star review. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is an absolute blast. Love that we get to do this. It is all thanks to y'all. Huge thanks to Jack Terry doing the heavy lifting tonight. Nick Brake, we miss you. We love you. We'll see you again very soon. For all of you watching at home, we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all.